Amen. Praise God. Good morning, everybody. It is so good uh, to have you here again. We love new people at Hope. So if you're here, or maybe you've been away for a while and you're kind of getting reconnected, welcome home. Welcome back. You're always welcome here uh, in our family. And I, I kind of, sometimes when I, I'm here during the week and I look up here on the stage, it kind of looks like a front porch, doesn't it? We just need some like posts and like a rocking chair and I could sit out here and watch the squirrels or whatever you do on a porch, just sip your coffee or whatever you do. But so Welcome onto our porch this morning. I know all of you can't fit up here, but welcome to our home. Welcome to our porch. Uh, you're welcome here, and we pray that you do feel like family. Uh, it's, it's an awesome day uh, to be here, and I don't even know if I need to say it, but it is uh, very obvious uh, that today, uh, I'm guessing that you're here, and it's a full house today, uh, because you've been <clears throat> anticipating this Sunday for months. It's one of the most important Sundays of the year. Um, it's a day that you've been looking forward to. You mark it on your calendar every single year. It's a Sunday that you wouldn't miss for anything else in the world. I'm sure that this morning, you set your alarm extra early because you knew you could not wait. Maybe you just woke up on your own at like 5 a.m. this morning because you could not wait and simply contain your excitement. I mean, it's so obvious what today is. I don't even need to say it, do I? It's Reformation Day. Turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Reformation Day. Turn to your neighbor right now. It's Reformation Sunday. Oh, my word. I can't believe it. Two of you knew that, and you call yourselves Lutheran. I tell you what. I found this picture of Martin, this is actually, go ahead, and this is a, neck, a picture of Martin Luther. Um, maybe if you know the story, you've seen some of these things on Facebook, but we'll talk about that story in a second, but that picture of Martin Luther says, I can't believe you forgot. That's what he's saying to you this morning. But here's the thing, we're Lutherans, so there's grace, amen? We're really big on grace, so even if you forgot, maybe the few of you that just maybe overlooked that it's Reformation Sunday today, it's okay Put it in your calendar right now for next year. Mark it down so you can dress like your favorite Reformation character. So Martin Luther uh, has quite the story. And it's, it's important to remember on days like today why we are Lutheran. We are Lutheran Church of Hope for a reason. We're not traditional in the sense that some of the cultural Lutheran things or some of the maybe more traditional ways of worship that you grew up with. But we are Lutheran and we believe that we're right. Uh, and so I just, <laughs> kind of, um, actually we believe that Jesus was right. And so we want to be as close to that as possible. But we remember that, so every, uh, every year in October, the last Sunday of October, we celebrate this time in 1517 when Martin Luther, the, the founder of this movement that we're a part of this morning, nailed 95 theses, 95 issues, concerns he had with the Roman Catholic Church at that time to the door of the, the Witt, uh, church in Wittenberg, Germany. And so this list of concerns that mostly that the church had kind of lost its way and the church had strayed from the message of the gospel which and this idea of grace, that we are saved by grace through faith. And that became sort of the pillar, the foundation for the entire Protestant movement. And so all a bunch of different mainline churches that exist today started that day with one man who slowed down long enough to take a stand. Amazing things happen when we slow down long enough to see. And Luther's big thing was that we are placing our faith not in what we can do, what the church was teaching at the time, that you had to climb some sort of ladder or be good enough. And some of you don't feel good enough today. And I've got really good news for you. You're at a Lutheran church 
which means we talk a lot about grace, which means grace is bigger than you could ever imagine it to be this morning. And Luther's big teaching is that our, our merit, our worth before God is not based on how good you feel like you've been this week, but on how good God is. Not on what you can do, but what, on he, what he's already done for you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, and that's why today matters. That's why history matters, because we all, we all lose our way sometimes. Because just like the church in Luther's day, we can become blind to what really matters. That day in the 1500s, Luther took the time to slow down so that he could truly see, to see that something wasn't right and he took action. Amazing things happen when you slow down long enough to see. I was thinking about that this week in a smaller but uh, just as powerful way for me. I remember a story uh, several years back uh, in college when my wife Tiffany and I were still dating and I remember this time, it was around uh, kind of Thanksgiving, Christmas time, and everybody's kind of in the Christmas spirit around campus, and she loves playing piano. She happened to be playing the piano this morning. She loved to play piano back then as well, and she loved to just play in the recital hall there at Waldorf. And so it was kind of like in between some of my classes, and it was kind of later uh, in the afternoon, and she would just spend hours just playing and she can just, she doesn't need music, she just kind of plays things by heart and by memory sometimes, and so she just sits down and worships, and that's how she does that, and she's playing her favorite songs, and then from time to time, especially this time, people would just start dropping in, and they would just sit down in the recital hall in the chapel there, and they would listen to her, and then more and more people would come, and I remember one night in particular, I'd been bouncing from meeting, from meeting, to class, to class, and I finally found myself literally like running through the, the lobby of the recital hall, and I kind of vaguely heard some music, and I was running from one place to another because I was so busy, and I was so focused, and, and I had so many things going on that week, and this arm kind of like reached out to grab me. He said, John, and I turned around, and it was my buddy Daniel. And I said, Daniel, I don't have time. Whatever it is, I don't have time. I got to go. I'm late for my next class, to which he responds, just stop. Do you hear that? And I could hear some, kind of some people singing, and somebody playing the piano, I said, yeah, what is that? And he said, that's Tiffany. She's giving kind of an impromptu concert in there. Uh, she's playing, and uh, like, it's your girlfriend. Uh, you should know her. Uh, and, and I go, that's why all those people are in there listening? And he said, yep. And then he said something I will never forget. He said, John, seems like everybody else has realized how beautiful that is except you. Seems like everybody else has slowed down long enough to put away their screens, to put away the clutter, all the noise and the busyness of the day. It seems like everybody else has realized how beautiful the music is, except you. Maybe you should slow down. And I did. And it was awesome. Amazing things happen when you slow down long enough to see, and that's what God wants to show us in our story today. It was true in Jesus' day, it was true for me, it's true for all of us. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9 if you're not there already. John chapter 9, and we're going to discover a very similar story. We're in this sermon series called The Signs of the Times. We're going through the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so this is going to be kind of in the back third 
of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we arrive on the scene in John chapter 9, we encounter this story of blindness. But before we get into it, what if I told you that this story of blindness actually has very little to do with the man who couldn't see? Just wrap your head around that for a second. What if I told you that this story of blindness has very little to do with the man who couldn't see? How is that possible? Let's take a look. Look at verse 1. As he went along, as Jesus went along, he's walking along with his disciples through town. As he went along, he saw a man born, a man blind from birth. It's important to know, just stop there for a second. There's so much depth and richness in the story. It's important to know that in ancient cultures, and particularly in Jesus' day, a blind person had really no other choice than to be a beggar. This is basically your lot in life. So barring a miracle, because those never happen, you are probably extremely poor. You are probably homeless. And because of that, most likely, you felt invisible. But I don't think it's just them. Have anybody felt that way in your life? Have you felt invisible, that people don't really know you, that they don't really understand? And so that's this guy, and so maybe some of you have felt like that, but don't miss verse 1. <laughs> Jesus saw him. As they went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Think how powerful that is. Jesus, God in flesh, with a million things to do and a million people to see, he's got He's got uh, people to see, he's got things to do, he's got a planet to save (laughs) in three years, and he slows down long enough to see. I wonder when's the last time that anyone gave this man the time of day? Most people go, oh, there's the blind guys, moving on. Jesus gives him the time of day. Amazing things happen. I was reading this story this week about how Jesus, being so busy and so famous, took the time to slow down to meet with somebody who is less fortunate. And I couldn't help but think of this story that uh, a parallel, a modern day parallel to this story of the blind man coming from the most unlikely of places for good sermon illustrations to come from Ames. <clears throat> Particularly, Jack Trice Stadium. Now, I want you to know how much it pains me to tell stories of transformational godly things happening at Iowa State University, but this one, this one is too good to be true. So last Saturday, well, a couple Saturdays ago, uh, Iowa State played TCU. Didn't go so well, but that's not the point. The, at the beginning of the game, that Iowa State always has a kid captain that comes out on the field. A lot of college teams do this. It's a a child that's struggling with some life-threatening disease or needs support in some way or they don't know if they're going to make it uh, or not. And so they usually come out and what normally happens is the parent or whatever, you know, wheels them out on the field or they're on sort of like a stretcher or crutches or something and they come out on the field and then the captains do the coin toss and they determine who gets the ball first and then they leave. Maybe the person gets announced on the PA, but nobody stops and talks to them. Because really, they've got a football game to play, and they're college athletes, and they're a big deal, and there's millions of dollars riding on this game for the university. So why would you have time to stop and say hi to anyone? 
And so this day, in particularly, it's a gal, a young gal, I think she's seven or eight years old, and her name's Abby. And Abby needs some ongoing physical therapy for some things that have happened from birth with her legs that they didn't quite form right. And on top of that, she needs a, a huge surgery for vision correction with this rare eye condition. And so what normally happens is they would come out and then they would leave, but not on this day. Actually, it's okay that I'm telling you this story because the TCU guy is the good guy in the story. So I'm just kidding. I just poke him. One of the, that's not the point, one of the TCU players, the quarterback himself named Trevon Boykin, is probably the best college football quarterback in the country right now. One of the top two guys to win the Heisman. For the best college football player in the entire country. And here he is in Ames, Iowa, on the road, which is a long way from Texas. And watch what happens when he slows down to see her and impacts her life, as well as another young gentleman who happens to get a towel. Let's take a look. Amazing things happen when you slow down long enough to see someone. And Abby's life, as well as that young man's life, are changed, and he's going to tell all of his friends about that and remember that for a long time because of one simple gesture. Turns out there is a fundraising site that's set up for Abby now, and after, after Boykin talked to her, and this went all over the news, that site just took off, and she's close to getting both of her surgeries completely paid for now. And one of them, insurance didn't cover. Famous and busy, and yet he stopped. Jesus, famous and busy, and yet he stopped. This story, it captures our hearts because I think that's what we long for. I came across this quote from Pastor Tim Keller, who's also an author, a Christian author this week. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I just want you to look this, read it to yourself, and just breathe it in. To be loved but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be known and loved, that transforms you. Some of you have experienced superficiality in the church, in friendship, in small groups, whatever it is. Some of you have experienced condemnation and judgment because you were known and you were not loved or you were not forgiven. <laughs> Jesus knows that to be known and to be loved together, that's what transforms you and that's what he's offering you today. To be known and to be loved, not as you should be, but exactly where you're at this morning. And just like <laughs> Trevon Boykin crouching down, taking the time to look her in the eyes. Jesus does the same. And I want you to imagine that he walks in here this morning and in the whole crowd he comes and he leans down and he's going to give you much more than a towel. He says, I, I want to give you everything. In fact, I already have. I've given you my life. And I want to be in a relationship with you Amazing things happen when you slow down long enough to see. If only everybody in the story did what Jesus did or had the compassion and the love that Jesus did. Even the disciples, the good old disciples, get it wrong 
sometimes. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, stop there for a second. Don't you think that's a pretty strange question for disciples of Jesus to ask? I mean, these are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't you think they'd be a little bit more compassionate? They come across a blind man. If I am Jesus, I'm thinking I'm flunking all of you in pastoral care. None of you are going to seminary. None of you are ever visiting in a hospital. I mean, we have a care core. We have a care team here at Hope Des Moines, and we train people on how to be loving and compassionate and go into hospital rooms. Imagine if one of you had somebody from the congregation walk into your hospital room as your pastoral care visitor, and you are struggling with some sickness or disease or something like that, and the first thing they walk in and go, all right, who sinned? What? Who says that? Like, this is so off, right? Just non-compassion. Who, who says that? Well, it turns out, believe it or not, it's a pretty honest, legitimate question for these disciples to be asking. Rabbis in Jesus' day taught that illnesses or defects to the body were caused by the sins of parents or the person themselves. Back in the book of Exodus, there is a passage that says that sins of one generation are passed on to the next. And they interpreted that to, to mean physical defects, issues with their body. And so a good Jew, Jew would assume that the blindness came from this guy's parents. Now, it sounds ridiculous, but before we go getting all upset at the disciples, it'd be important to know that this question of who sinned is operating from what we call a narrative. Everybody say narrative. narrative. Or a story... A narrative is a story that we believe in order to give meaning to our lives. Another way of looking at it is a narrative, what you believe, is like a pair of lenses that you look through. I was thinking I should just wear it. Do I look even smarter? Yeah. It's like a, it's a pair of lenses that you look through. And all of us has a spiritual set of lenses in a way that we view who God is and the way that the world works. And the way that people in Jesus' day viewed the world was through a narrative that said this man probably sinned or his parents. In fact, we all have narratives, and, and what I want to walk through for the rest of our time is three narratives that we see in this story. Not all of them are right. There's a couple false ones, and then there is a correct narrative. If you stop and think, you and I believe in dozens of narratives every single day. What we believe about people will impact the way that we treat them. What we believe about life will impact the way that we live. There's big narratives and there's small narratives. A small narrative would be, obviously, the Hawkeyes are God's team and that's why they're undefeated. That's a narrative that we believe that brings truth into our lives. That is a false narrative. That is not correct. <laughs> but if we're not careful, there are other narratives as well. Think, maybe some of you have heard this one. Oh, we all know that God won't give you more than you can handle. A lot of Christians believe that. They put it on cards and plaques and paintings and bumper stickers. It's not true. It's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says kind of the opposite. You'll get a lot more than you can handle, and that's why you need a Savior. In your weakness, he is strong. That's a narrative that we live with, that we take different passages, we just kind of form these stories. Like, that's, no, that's not it. And people get really confused when life becomes overbearing and overwhelming, and you don't know what to do. You're like, what? God? And God's like, I don't owe you anything. I'm God. 
but I gave you my life. Or how about this one? Oh, you know, we all know that God's number one desire for us is to be safe, to be comfortable, to be happy, and to be rich. Whoops. I think we missed the boat on that one, too. But so many of us fall into those traps, into those false narratives, to those ways of viewing the world, and we're like, wait a minute. That doesn't line up with what Scripture says. So big or small, we're formed by the stories that we believe. And the narrative that had been around for thousands of years was, that they were basing this idea with the blind man off of, is that we have to do something to earn the favor of the gods. Even long before Jesus came, or long before the God Yahweh of the Israelites was there, there was all sorts of gods that they believed. And the idea was that you had to earn the favor of the gods. And if you made them angry, then in turn you would be punished. And unfortunately, many of the rabbis in Jesus' day picked up on this narrative. But it's not just back then. There was a survey done about five years ago nationwide of thousands of Christians. And over 40% of Christians interviewed believed that God wants to punish us for the mistakes that we make. That God is a judge that's sitting up in heaven waiting for us to screw up. And I don't know about you, but I've struggled with that false narrative as well. In, in, in my honesty, I've often struggled and I've thought, wait a minute, if I'm a really good person, if I read my Bible and I go to worship and I try to make good decisions, then God will bless me more and get me a job and give me really nice things. I'm sure none of you have ever thought that. And in turn, if I miss worship, if I don't read my Bible, if I'm not a very good Christian, if I've sinned, if I've turned away from God, that must be why bad things are happening to me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not about you. It is the gift of God. The Gospel of Matthew says that God calls the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. False narratives. God is not looking out waiting to punish you, and that's the first narrative that we simply see that the disciples struggle with, and that's confusion. Everybody say confusion. Confusion, most importantly, about the heart of God, which is exactly why, as we return to the story, let's look at verse 3, and let's read this together up on the screen. This is what Jesus says in return. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Our Savior, Jesus, comes and speaks right into this lie, into this false narrative that we often believe, and says, this is not about my Father's anger. It's about my Father's ability to take even the most terrible stories, the most painful, difficult situations in your life, and use them for his glory and redeem them for his purposes. Amen? That's the kind of God that we have. In other words, let's get the record straight, Jesus says. We live in a broken world. We're in this life. You may never, we may never understand why things happen the way they do. We don't get a lot of answers of why bad things happen sometimes. But our job is not to try to play God and tell somebody else that they're sick because they did something wrong or that some big natural disaster hit a certain country because they, they worship Satan or because they're godless people. I've said it once, I'll say it again. It's God's job to judge. 
It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's our job to love. Amen? That's our role. Let's let God be God. Instead, we have a Savior. Instead of coming to say, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save the world, and so he gets down next to the blind man deep enough to put mud on his hands and rub that (laughs) to get dirty and messy in his life. But the disciples weren't the only one that mixed it up, that were confused. They weren't the only one with a false narrative. After Jesus heals the man's blindness, and he's running around and he's freaking out, he's so excited, he's taken to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Skip all the way down to verse 24. This is a long story. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So they've got it wrong already. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. And I love this line. <laughs> All I know is this, right? He's like a country hick or something, right? The blind. All I know is this. Once I was blind, and now I can see. That's all I know. And I really like this Jesus guy, right? And the Pharisees are like, what? Like, who is, right? That's what I kind of imagine, right? This guy had nothing going for him. Now, skip down to verse 28. This is what they said. You would think that the Pharisees would be like, oh, that's great. Our Savior has come. It's a miracle. Let's lift you up. Let's do a parade. Let's celebrate you and worship and give glory to God. What did the religious people do? Verse 25, then they hurled insults at him, because that's a good thing to do after somebody's been healed, and said, you are this fellow's disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. To this they replied, you were steeped. This is what they said to a man that had just been healed. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. In other words, the Pharisees also had a certain lens, a very bad one, a false narrative that they were living from. And that narrative was a narrative of pride. Everybody say pride. For hundreds of years, this is their MO. This is, this is their narrative. Jesus, you don't fit our box. You don't fit our narrative. You can't heal people on the Sabbath. We're the religious leaders around here. How dare you say that you know more than us? Which is, by no coincidence, exactly what was going on in the church at the time of Martin Luther. That the leaders and the priests would stand up and say, how dare you common folk want to read the Bible? Because if you read the Bible, that will insert our power and then we won't be able to tell you the wrong narrative. History has a way of repeating itself, doesn't it? The narrative of pride is simply this. and Just soak this in for a second. Maybe it's not so much about the Pharisees. Maybe it's about us too. The narrative of pride is simply, oh, glasses? I, I can see fine. There's nothing in me that needs to change. Spouses, you ever heard this one? Of course I'm right. Or in the church? I don't need to grow. (laughs) I've taken so many Bible studies. I've done so many classes. Just going to take a break from that. I'm good. I'm done growing. I've been a part of the church my whole life. 
I don't need to grow. I don't need to learn anymore. I think I've got it figured out. I think I can see just fine, so no lenses for me. And we wear those lenses, you and I, from time to time, which is why Jesus says in verse 41, look down at verse 41. He says this to the Pharisees. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Just so you know, you don't want to hear Jesus say that to you. But I want you to understand something before you get all worried about that. Jesus says, it's not the people who are blind that I'm worried about the most. It's those who think that they can see perfectly. Jesus says, I'm not... (laughs) Yes, I care about your sin. Yes, I care where you've been and what you've done. But that's no longer the issue anymore because when you ask for forgiveness, my grace is right where you fell. And my healing is right where your sickness or your disease is. It's available for you. The issue is not what's wrong with you. The issue is that people think that the people that think there's nothing wrong with them. That's the people that I would be concerned about. If you're in a small group or a Bible study and somebody says, this is what this means, I know the exact answer, I'd be leery of that. If somebody says, look at me, I have all the answers, or this is the one true denomination, or what this church teaches is better than that, just run away. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus comes to the blind man that day, and he comes to us, and he doesn't just physically heal him. He says, here, try on a new set of glasses, a kingdom lens. This is how I created you to see the world, Jesus says, that it's not about you, it's about what I want to do through you. And that's the real narrative, the third narrative that the blind man encounters that day, and it's the gospel. Everybody say gospel. Gospel meaning the good news of Jesus Christ. It's really important to know what story you're choosing to believe. This is a story that says God loved you so much that he died for you to set you free so that you could start really living. And when you experience the gospel and when you experience the good news of Jesus, you have a story to tell. For the man that day, it was a blind, but now I see. What's your story? Around here, we call them hope stories. And they're all around us, of God transforming lives and using people for his purposes. And I want to share one of those stories with you today with one of our friends. You saw her up here on the stage, and her name is Steph. So I'm going to have Steph. There's Steph. Everybody welcome Steph up to the stage. You can grab that mic over there. So some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, wasn't Steph just in the band? Yes, she's multi-talented. And she also happens to be a full-time missionary. So some of you remember Steph from the early days uh, of our community here uh, at Hope Des Moines. And and, uh, Steph happens to be on sabbatical uh, from her time as a full-time missionary in Cambodia, which is not near Minnesota, I hear. A little, little farther, a little than, little farther than Minnesota. Okay. So we support Steph uh, as a missionary, and she's back here for a few weeks, so I wanted to make sure that she had a chance to kind of share an update with you, but I think it ties really well into what we're talking about today. Believe it or not, Steph was, uh, like a lot of us, and maybe you feel this way, I'm pretty ordinary. I just came here today, I don't really know why, my parents drug me here today, whatever it is, and I don't really know if God wants to speak to me, but 
God encountered Seth, she encountered God, and he slowed her down and allowed her to see the world in a much different way. And so, Steph, I just have a couple questions for you, just so people understand your heart and how you got into this. When you were uh, working at Drake uh, several years back, um, how did God come and encounter you, and how did you go from living and working in Iowa at Drake University to being called halfway around the world, literally all the way across the world? Uh, how did God open your eyes to see the world in a different in a different yeah, way? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Ames, so all these Iowa State oh, jokes geez. are a little rough. I've already, <laughs> I've already offended you today. <laughs> well, that's Good. all right. I'll forgive yeah. you. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, I. I feel, you know, you look back on your life, sometimes you say, oh, God was working there, and he was working there. Sometimes it's hard to put those pieces together, but I, I can remember, actually, when I, I went to school down in, uh, in Pellet Central, and we had a trip over the summer that we could go on to, to China, and um, it was on that trip that we had a roommate from a university, it was kind of an English program, and uh, we were in our room one night, and just all of a sudden, she started, she's like, hey, can we read the Bible together? I was like, oh. You know, I didn't, I didn't set that up, ask her to do any of that, but I just I felt like I had this moment from the Lord was like, this is what I want you to do. I was like, I want you to be with university students. I want you to, to cross cultures, and I want you to talk about me. And it was just one of those like, okay, I'm not sure how that's all going to come together at some point, and that it has come together in different areas of my life, but I feel like I can look back to that and be like, oh, that's when I can really say that's what God wanted me to do. Yeah, so it seems like you were almost kind of living one narrative in a way of pretty simple, easy life, yeah, you know, in your, sure. in your comfort zone. That was your lens you were looking through, and God's like, here, I've got a different Yeah, yeah that was the, my first story. time out of the country, too, so I mean, there's wow. a lot to, to take in at that point. So, okay, so flash forward now, you've been in Cambodia for? About three years. Three years. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a long way away. Um, God bless this guy that was blind today in order to be a blessing. And when he had his life changed and he could see again, we read he went and, and told everybody. And it seemed like God kind of rocked your world and you have gone now. When God said go, you went. How have you seen God at work mm -hmm. after you took that initial step of faith and you're like, I am on an airplane going, I'm assuming you didn't drive. No, took an airplane. Or swim, either. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I am on an airplane, and I'm going to Cambodia, and I'm not going to see anybody I know for a year. How have you seen God at work after you took that step of faith? What has he been doing Yeah, there? I think, you know, there's a lot of times in our lives where we think, oh, there's a, there's a barrier to me to be able to do these things. So uh, when you go to a new country, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know how to go to the store here, <laughs> or I can't speak the language. And so we put in our mind that uh, there's all these barriers for us to be able to even interact with people. But I think what uh, God has been showing me there is, yes, we, we want to break down those barriers, but sometimes we make those bigger than they need to be. So I remember like some of my first weeks there, you know, I'm learning how to go to the market and stuff, and I have very limited language. But you can stop, and you can still share who Jesus is just by your interactions with people. So it's, there's one seller I go to in this one market, and, you know, that's how I learned names of fruits and vegetables, <laughs> is you just, you just stop, and you're able to actually talk to people. And even if it's very limited, that one moment where you just slow down, you say, okay, I can interact mm -hmm. with people, even if I don't always have the language and, and all of these other things, but we're, we're just interacting with each other. Yeah. Steph, tell us just, I mean, obviously, there's much more. And Steph's actually, she's got a little booth in the lobby today, so stop after service and talk to her. But 
just to give people a glimpse of what would you say has been your kind of your top priority in terms of ministry there at the university? What, what's the main thing you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, so I work mostly with uh, college students there, and I live in the capital city, Phnom Penh, where there's over 40 universities. So there isn't actually a campus ministry for students there. So what we're trying to do is raise up uh, local Cambodian staff, which kind of oh, the... Yeah, there's some yeah. pictures. Oh, yeah. there you go. Oh, they're all there. There's some fun <laughs> pictures. There they are. Um, we're trying to raise these guys up so they can be the ones that lead, and that they're the ones that are on campus gathering students together to, to pray and to learn about who Jesus is. So uh, we hope one day to... All of, all of us foreigners that we're out of there, and it is mm. just totally led by Cambodians. Yeah, that's so cool. So my last question is this. All of us are called to be missionaries. We talk about that a lot. Some, some of us don't believe that, but if we're on mission, we're a missionary. What advice or encouragement do you have for us, your church here in Iowa, uh, in terms of what you've learned about being on mission, that to live church is not a, a, a once-a-week thing. They, some of these, most of these people don't know what church is or don't care about church. So you literally have to show them Jesus in very tangible ways. What advice or encouragement do you have for us as a church as we talk about not just going to church, but our whole thing this fall has been being the church? What would you say to us about some parallels sure. that could help us in our mission that you've learned? Yeah, I think... Um I think it starts before you actually walk out the door, and it's remembering that the same God that like split the Red Sea, mm -hmm. that did these miracles, that he's walking with us every day. And that it's not about us creating these things to happen, but just partnering with where God is already at work. So when you know I go on campus, I you can go with a different sense of confidence, or when you go into your workplace, or you go to the coffee shop, God's already there and he's already at work. And if I can clear out my own stuff and be able to listen to him, he's going to make those things happen. And it's just being obedient to what God asks mm. us to do. Yeah, that's so cool. Here, I want you to know before I let her go here, here's what I love about Steph. Uh, she's so normal. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But sometimes when we think about missionaries, you think of like crazy people in your church basement that got it's back a from Africa. Crazy, yeah, <laughs> and they have a big headdress on or something and they're just goofy and you can't relate with them. Like, that's what I love about Steph is she's so like normal. She's from Iowa. It doesn't get much more like, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean sometimes we think we have to be somebody other than ourselves to share our faith, right? And what I hear you saying is, be you. Be you. Be Steph. Be who God's created you to be and be who God's created you to be. And the other thing is Steph has always been so real and honest with us about how hard this is. It's not a glory ride over there. And she has many more stories that she hasn't shared with you, but it's not easy. And it's messy. And it's hard just like it is here sometimes. And so I want to thank you for the inspiration and the encouragement that you are to all of us to be on mission as well, that we can look at you and say, Steph helped start this church, and now she's halfway around the world doing the exact same thing, and it's the same Jesus, and it's the same mission, it's the same Holy Spirit, and I want to thank you for your courage to go back, which I think you are. Yeah, yes. I am going back. <laughs> she's going back. Right after a little uh, bit of winter, we'll get out of here. That's right. <laughs> yeah, when it gets cold, then you're out of here. Um, it's not easy, and I want to thank you for that, that ministry is not always easy. So Steph has a lot more to share. She's got some information and some more pictures. If you want to learn more about how you can support her and pray for her and encourage her, please stop by her booth in the back. But let's just thank God for Steph and what he's doing for her. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
And like I said, it'd be very easy for us today to say, you know, Steph is definitely called, (laughs) but not me. Some of you, let's just be honest for a second and just slow down. Some of you hear that and go, Cambodia. I don't even have my laundry done. Like, my house is a mess. Like, just be honest, right? Life is busy. Life is hard. I'm just trying to survive every week, some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, I don't, I don't have time to be the church. Literally, I, I can't even make time to make it to church sometimes. Well, maybe it's time to ask God for a new pair of lenses. Maybe it's time to start seeing life a little different. Maybe it's time to ask God to give you a new narrative. Because here's the narrative that I hear quite often. We hear things like Steph share, and we hear other people that are doing ministry. What I hear so often is, I'm just so busy. Life is too full to slow down. And if I slow down, I won't be able to keep up. Those of you with kids, if I miss the game, if I miss the practice, if I don't go to every single event, if I miss the party, then everyone's going to see that that was so important and I'm going to miss it. And I think that Jesus says to us today, no, if you don't slow down, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the opportunities that I'm going to put in front of you this week, as in tomorrow. I don't want you to miss it, Jesus says. You'll, you'll miss the music like I did in the recital hall that night. You'll miss the chance to change your girl's life like Trevon Boykin did. You'll miss the chance to share the gospel with those who have never heard of Jesus before as Steph is. You'll miss the chance to see a blind man get his sight again. Don't be so preoccupied with life that you miss, that you miss the mission field that is all around you. Every Thursday night, we have over 25 inner-city neighborhood kids in this building that need to know the love of Jesus Christ in a tangible way through our WizKids program. And we would love your help with that. We've got some awesome mentors, but the more mentors and leaders we have, the more kids. And there are hundreds of them, thousands of them in our neighborhood. And we need your help with that. Every week, Hope Kids is going on upstairs and downstairs right now. The nursery is chock full of babies. We need some people to show these kids the love of God because they deserve our very best. Every single week we do breakfast club. We just need some people to help bring some food. All these volunteer opportunities, some of you are saying, it's a volunteer hole to fill. It's not a volunteer hole to fill. It's an opportunity to experience the kingdom of God moving and working through you. Amen? It's an opportunity to see God at work through the small things, like giving somebody the towel, like healing somebody, like stopping long enough to see and asking somebody after worship today, what's your name? What's going on in your life? It's the opportunity that we don't want you to miss every single week that you can come up here and we can come before the God of the universe and be prayed for. There are people up here that would love to pray for you. Slow down or you'll miss the amazing things that God wants to do. And if you're not feeling that today, and if you're too busy, stop, slow down. Let God give you the right narrative. And God says, here, I want you to have these. It's a kingdom lens. It's a whole new way of seeing your life. Take it. Take it. Today, take it. This is for you. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's for you.
Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we are amazed at you. We're amazed at what you can do in people's lives and how you can use the smallest of gestures, the simplest act of love to change people's lives. God, we want to be a part of that. We don't want to be bystanders to Christianity. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We want to be in the game. God, I pray that you would give us a whole new set of lenses today, this week. God, open our eyes, open our ears so we can hear the music. Open our eyes so that we can see the opportunities all around us. God, slow us down. Put us in check. Keep us still. And in quietness and in rest, we'll hear the most important voice that we will hear all week. And that is your voice, the voice of our Father, saying, now this way, now this way, now this way, now this person, now this meeting, now this conversation, and know that I am with you. I am with you, I am with you always. No matter where you are and no matter what you do. God, thank you for your love. Send us from this place. And all God's people prayed together. Amen. Amen. It's a good day. It's a good week. Go and be the church. God bless you. We'll see you next week.